0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. Thank you for coming back. If you're a return listener, if you are a new listener, then welcome. Before we get into today's book review, just a word from the sponsors of the podcast. Now BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world. And therapy is something that has helped me in my journey, as much as I hate the word, to no end. And it's something that I keep... Seeming to return to because the benefits just span far beyond just being a little bit happier. Anytime that you have something on your mind, it will drain your resources thinking about it too much. Speaking to a professional can really help empty your mind in a good way, in a positive way. And with BetterHelp, you get 10% off of your first month of online therapy with the code need to read so all you'd have to do to get matched to your own therapist within 48 hours is complete the questionnaire on the link of www.betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read so going to that link ensures that you get 10% off your first month and you're taking the first steps to feeling better the link will be in the description but without further ado let's get in to the book review So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Stephen Bartlett's book, Happy Sexy Millionaire. Now, we probably all want to be happy, sexy millionaires, and maybe we want to be that for the wrong reason. Who actually knows? I think happiness is something that we all want and kind of aim towards. Being sexy, sure, it's nice, and being a millionaire, I'm sure that is lovely. However, I can't tell you what those things are like. He doesn't actually mean happy, sexy or millionaire when he talks about being a happy, sexy millionaire. When he refers to happy, he talks about life in terms of fulfilment. And when he talks about sexy, he's meaning love. We love to be desired as humans and it's nice to be lovable. Lovable. And when you're sexy and you're in love, it's not about how you look. It's not about if you've got abs. It's not about what shape your body is or how symmetrical your face is. It's just about the value you can give to others or receive from others in terms of being in a partnership and just being one of those people that gives off good vibes. And when we're talking about millionaires, we don't just mean the amount of millions in your bank account. What it means there is success, and you as a person, as a human being, you get to decide what success looks like for you. And as soon as you kind of get an understanding of what success is going to be like for you, the quicker you can get there, which essentially will help you be happier and sexier, more confident, more confident, sure of yourself, and just a general sense of fulfillment because success gets people down because they don't feel that they're successful enough in various various facets of their life. Now Stephen Bartlett, the author of this book, you may have seen him on Instagram, is at Stephen with a V, not a pH. And he's got a pretty unique life story. So he was born in Botswana and migrated to the UK very, very young. And he lived in like relative poverty near Manchester. So it's amazing compared to where he was from, but not actually great when you're here in in the UK and living in a sort of poor environment where him and his brother's sisters all used to have to share rooms he never had any nice things at school to show off to his friends and in the book there's a story about one christmas where he cried and had an argument with his parents because he didn't have any presents because they'd spent the money they would spend on presents on being able to provide a christmas dinner for everyone and he acknowledges that that's quite ungrateful but look you can't condemn yourself when you're a child because you're literally a child Children don't really know much. that's kind of what I've come to understand. I've also come to understand that adults really don't know that much. I'm uh, basing that off my experience because I am one and I don't really feel like I know that much yet. so maybe we should go easy on the kids when they're being a bit ungrateful. When he talks about happiness i'm I'm gonna jump about the different parts of this book that I liked and you should have sufficient information really just to see if you'd enjoy reading it yourself i thought the book was brilliant and he talks about happiness which is obviously the first part of the book but it's literally it's now or never it's not a destination that you can reach and there's no sort of winning and losing in life it's it's not a finite game with happiness it's an infinite game and you have to live it every single day and there's an interesting study in the book that he speaks about Um, And this is in in reference to the money side of happiness, because a lot of people think that money will make them happy. And a Harvard professor interviewed thousands of thousands of people about how much money it would take for them to become happier. And whether they had one million or 10 million in the bank, people tended to say that you needed about two to three times as much money as they had currently to be truly happy. Which is so weird. But even when I think about it now, I think if I had two to three times the amount of money that I had now, I mean, I'm sure I'd be a little bit happier. So I'm falling into this trap as well. It's very, very strange. And I'm sure that when you're in the depth of poverty, money will provide you a bit of respite. But there are so many things that money can't fix that people think money can fix. And that is a shame. So basically, don't tie money to your happiness. I used to earn an alright wage for a 22-year-old when I worked in sales, and it didn't make me happy at all. If I want to say, it probably made me unhappier, if that's the correct way to construct that sentence. Because I'd earn a load of commission, and I'd just spend it on going out, which would make me sad, and it just became a bit of a vicious cycle. So tying happiness to money, as everyone always says, and it usually comes from people with money, it's not that much of a good idea, really. But back to the book, of course. The book has quite a few like full pages ded- dedicated to quotes, which is kind of nice. It seems a bit Instagram, but I think this book is written for the Instagram generation. And that is mainly because it's the generation of like 18 to 30-something who are probably the least happy. They say that 18 to 37 is the single loneliest generation ever. And if you've read Lost Connections, then you know that connecting to people is one of the most important things you can do for your mental health. It's like being disconnected actually makes you depressed and that is science, brah. So... Actually, whilst we're on that subject, Johan Hari did a brilliant podcast with Stephen Bartlett. So once you've had a listen to this podcast, obviously finish this podcast and any others that you haven't listened to, go and have a listen to that one. It's is great because Johan Hari is so knowledgeable on this stuff because he spent so long researching his books. But back, back to the generation, my generation, and my God, the generation that's coming up now it sucks community values are just completely gone i can't think of anything that i do that's in like a big community apart from jujitsu, and the jiu-jitsu community and people that do jiu is so important in my life like i absolutely love it i was speaking to my flatmate the other day and he was like do you think you've made sacrifices to do jiu i was like yeah definitely because because i do love it that much and the community vibe that you get in jiu-jitsu is unlike anywhere else I've definitely sacrificed maybe going out or when I was living in Bali, like I'd made choices of my life around jiu-jitsu. I made the choice to move to Bali pretty much because of jiu-jitsu. And if there wasn't that community element to it, maybe I wouldn't do that. It's nice to be able to com- connect to people when you've got a single sort of joint goal of everyone just getting a little bit better at something. Now back to my generation, social media and stuff like that. In the book, he is essentially just trying to put the world to rights. And he talks about social media and the generation that are watching Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian. They're all sort of watching them growing up. And he acknowledges things like Facetune, that app that came out a while ago that just allowed anyone to make themselves slimmer. The guy that created that app says he feels like he's won the lottery and feels guilty about it because he's obviously contributing to the declining mental health. Of the world. Because people aren't happy with how they look. Because they're looking at someone like Kylie Jenner. Who obviously. I don't need to tell you this. But edits her photos like fuck. People compare themselves to her. Who. She looked nothing like she does now. When she was younger. And I'm not shitting on her for any reason. Like She's done amazing things. She's literally a billionaire. And she's in her early 20s. She's done incredible things. But the people following her. It's probably not good for your mental health. I I personally don't follow any of the Kardashians. And I'm not saying that I'd start comparing myself with Kylie or Kim or anyone like that. Because my bum's never going to be that big. But as, like, I'm sure there are women out there and girls out there who do compare themselves to them. And it's detrimental for their mental health and they can't even see it. And just in general on Instagram, people are so inauthentic. And I try my hardest to be as authentic as possible. And show up most days, but it's difficult. If I feel like I need to fake it, I just won't bother, and maybe that's inauthentic in itself. But think about taking a photo; you get your friends take a photo of you. You want to put it on Instagram. You don't feel like you look good, and you won't post it to your highlight reel. Newsflash: that's actually what you look like. You don't need to worry about looking good. You just like you just need to be able to accept what you look like. And maybe in your perception, that's not good, but. What is that not good? What is it not good in comparison to? Because that's what you have to think about. Before you post, you're thinking, oh, I look great in this. This is a great angle. But what if that's not what you even look like? Is that authentic? I don't know if it is. And it's sad. And the bad news is, even having loads of money is not going to do that much about it. Because in the book he speaks about his business partner who's obviously also successful and rich. But he was lonely too. And he turned to alcohol as a cure for his loneliness. And that is not good. So what are you going to do? In terms of things like happiness and loneliness, you have to be able to connect to things. And I'm about to write an article on connection for this magazine called Mind Café which you can get your hands on, by the way. If you go to mindcafe.co, you can pick up a copy of that magazine, use Ed 10. That'll get you some money off, I'm assuming 10%. But it's the first article I've ever written in that book, and it's about balance. But this next one's going to be about connection, and I'm going to be recommending books around that because it is so important, whether you're connecting to yourself, connecting to others, connecting to nature. Connection is such a key part of life. And on that subject, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Headspace. Headspace is a meditation app that is backed by science and clinically validated research that just prove how good meditation is for you. It can reduce your stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and just increase your overall sense of well-being. And that's why I've been using it for well over 450 days in a row. So if you think... That meditation is something you need to give a go which by the way i think it definitely is then head to headspace.com slash need to read you deserve to feel happier and headspace's meditation made simple that is headspace.com slash need to read for a free one month trial with access to headspace's full library of meditations for every situation that is the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash need to read. That link will be in the description for you. And honestly, meditation is amazing. You all need to give it a go. And a free month is a free month. So you know where the link is. Well, let's get back to the book, shall we? Because in this book, there is a very important part about Quitting. All my life, I've quit stuff, and before I started going to therapy, and even in my early days of going to therapy, I thought that I was a bit of a failure for quitting. So that is a problem that I'm sure sure other people think that. They quit something because they know that quitting will be the best thing for them, but because they quit, they feel like a bit of a failure. So being pragmatic and clear on why you're going to quit is probably quite important. And in the book, there's a framework for quitting. And the first question on that framework is, are you thinking about quitting? If it's a yes, then they ask, why are you quitting? And then the two options from there is, it's hard or it sucks. If it's just, it's hard, the next question would be, is the challenge worth the reward? If it's not, then you quit. If it is, then you stick at it. Now if it sucks and that's why you're thinking about quitting you have to ask yourself the question can you make it not suck? If you can't then just quit. And then if you can make it not suck then you have to ask the question is the effort it would take to make it not suck worth it? If it is then don't quit. If it's not going to be worth it then just quit. I'm doing it no justice by describing it to you so If you want to see that clearer, you can buy the book um, or I'll put something up on my Instagram regarding that on the day that this podcast is released. But let's talk about other decisions and decision-making and and the sort of false promise that anyone is ever 100% clear on the decisions that they're making. Now, society tells you that you need to be 100% clear. You need to know exactly what you need. You need to know everything in terms of your purpose, your passion, and why you're going to do something. But when it comes to decision-making, most high-performing individuals, including Barack Obama, who I'm going to come back to in a moment, say that you only ever need to be over 50% clear, and then you just have to make the decision. Otherwise, you're just going to be paralysed by the thought about the decision. So Stephen met Barack Obama in Brazil when he was doing a speech, and he thought, well, if I'm meeting him, I might as well ask him some questions. And Barack Obama said about the decisions you have to make is that you have to realise you're not going to be right all the time and you have to be comfortable with that. And that is essentially just acknowledging your flaws as a human being. You're never ever going to be 100% clear on your decisions. And let's take this back to quitting. As much as that framework can help, like you're never going to be 100% sure. So you just have to be able to make the decision and get it out of your head. I recently shaved my head. I've been thinking about it for about three or four weeks. I wasn't too sure. And then I was like, right, this is taking up brain space. I'm about 60% sure that I want to do it, so I'll just do it. And now it's out of my brain. I don't have to think about it anymore. And I know that shaving my head might seem like not that important, but it was for me, and it was taking up brain space. So if you have something, here's a little rule that I live by. If you think about it more than three times, it's time to seriously consider it because it takes up brain space and I've spoken about this before imagine your brain is like an hourglass and every thought you have that stays around clogs up that hourglass so if you can clear the hourglass in your head and clear your thoughts then that is pretty much a good thing because it makes space for new thoughts to come through now here is an interesting story from the book and Stephen Bartlett he, he runs like a social media company it's called Social Chain It's worth like 300 million. It's on the stock market. And he loves to talk about that in the book, by the way. And I've seen some reviews of people saying that, well, he talks about himself so much. But, I mean, it is his book. So, obviously, he's going to talk about himself. And I feel like building a business that's worth 300 million is kind of worth chatting about if you do it. But one day, a few years ago, he was taking his team out. He had about 100 staff in the UK and he was taking them out paintballing. And then they got an email from a client saying that they didn't want to work with with them anymore and they had to cancel their campaign. So he checked out the email and he saw an email preceding that was supposedly from his business partner to his business partner's assistant saying something pretty nasty about the people they were meant to be doing the campaign with. They had been hacked by a hacker, obviously, And ended up losing about 80% of their clients. So that day he had to cancel everything. Had to get the staff back to the office. No paintball, no fun day out, no staff fun. He just had to get out of there and fix the mess. And they ended up losing about 80% of their clients, like I've already said. And the key things he said there, in time of chaos, one thing is just accepting that chaos will come at some point and about acceptance, but you have to be focused, and proactive, and full of optimism, when chaos does come around, just knowing that things are going to be all right, you're still going to be able to eat at the end of the day, probably, you're still going to have a nice bed to sleep in, that means that things are going to be all right, although when a problem is there, you do need to be able to focus on it. And when there is a problem, you don't just wait until it's too late and wait for it to get worse, get worse, get worse. You have to be proactive about fixing it. And it's a really interesting story, and I've done it no justice, of course, by just talking about it, but it was a nice part of the book because chaos is something that we're all going run to run into at some point. So it's just nice to see how these people deal with it. Another really interesting part of the book is about consistency. And he says that being consistent for a very long time Should be the title of every self-help book. And I'm coming to realise that as well. There are a lot of self-help books that just say be consistent, do it for ages, good stuff will come to you. And there's only so many times that you can read that message until you start to believe it. And still you start to like implement it into your own life. So like I've meditated for 450 something days in a row. I've now done yoga. At the time of this podcast was released, I'll have done it every day for 31 days. I've written every day for over two months. All of these things seem a little bit meaningless right now. But in a year's time, who knows what that's going to be. Maybe I've got a book that sold thousands of copies. Maybe I can cross my legs. Maybe I'll be flexible. Maybe it will help my jujitsu game. But right now, I'm doing stuff that is showing no sign of improvement. But I'm just trusting in the process that things are going to get better because I'm going to be consistent. And he relates this to compound interest, which is something I spoke about in the episode on psychology of money. And this seems to just be a concept that rich people know and and poor people don't. It's about compound interest when you put money into a bank. If you were to put money into a a high interest account, let's say it was at 15% interest, which people think, oh my god, that's so high, Lloyds are only offering me 1%, or my Sainsbury's bank, are only offering me 1%. There are these accounts out there, they're just a bit higher risk. And I'm not a financial advisor, but these higher risk accounts, sure, the economy could crash, but history kind of tells you that it does correct itself after one or two years. All you have to do is just not panic and not sell. That's That's the main thing. But take an example now, if you put 20 grand into an account today, with 30 years of 15% interest, it'll be over a million. It will actually be at a million after 29 years. And there are accounts out there that do this. You have to do your research yourself and be willing to take the risk. But as they say, fortune favours the bold, right? What else are you going to do? Spend it on delivery. compound interest it works for money and it works with yourself put small amounts of time into yourself meditating yoga reading doing stuff for your fitness eating well it will pay dividends in the long run now another part that was quite interesting in the book when he talks about willpower i've spoken about this before but willpower you have to work with it and it's not something that you are given. It's not something you're born with. It's essentially something that you develop yourself. So he tells a story of his assistant who told him every Monday she'd be starting her gym routine. And it never happened because she believed she didn't have willpower. And he kept saying, Look, I don't have willpower. It's not, there's no difference between me and you. I just do stuff. I don't know how helpful that is when you say, oh yeah, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I don't know if really have willpower. Because I know that when you're in that frame of mind, thinking that you haven't got willpower, it's not a positive frame of mind. So positive influences aren't probably going to get through. All you have to do is commit to doing something, even when you don't want to do it. And every time you make a decision to do the behavior that you've committed to, you're developing your willpower you're proving to yourself that you can get up and do things. And I'm pretty sure it's Siobhan who has this thing where she goes, three, two, one, and then just gets up and does something. If you just count down in your head, three, two, one, done. Get up. Give that a go and see how you get on. Because if you keep telling yourself that you haven't got the willpower, then you're not going to have the willpower. That's kind of the way things work. There are a few other things in the book that are really interesting one of which was skill stacking. And he says that you never have to be the best in your industry at one particular thing. If you want to be the best, then you have to be at a good level at lots of things. So you don't need to be 100%. It's just about being about 80% on a few things. And then you'll stand out. And he tells the story of one of his photographer friends who's not necessarily the best photographer in the world. But he is good with business. He tells a story of himself. like He's good at social media. But he's also good at sales. He's also good at business. And he's not 100% on any of those things. And the final thing to round off this episode. Surprise, surprise. He talks about journaling. And he talks about therapy. And how good they are for you. He's a millionaire. He's like 28. He journals and he goes to therapy. I don't really know if I need to say too much more on that. But. The last thing I'll say is when he talks about personal responsibility. It is your responsibility to yourself to learn new things, to understand new concepts, to look into new ideas. It's all for you and it's all about taking that personal responsibility. In science they call this, in science, in psychology they call it an internal locus of control. An internal locus of control essentially means that you believe that outcomes are within your control and they're determined by how hard you work. So if you don't have high levels of internal locus of control, you things that think aren't in your control and nothing is determined by how hard you work. It is just the world is already set up against you, which is obviously not how it is. I know sometimes in life it can feel like the universe does not have your back and the world is conspiring against you but I can promise you that that is not the case if the universe was this all seeing, all being power, why the fuck would it be aiming its negative energy at you think about that honestly, what would you really have done for the universe to be that pissed off at you so it gives you bad luck all the time there's there's nothing, there's nothing that explains that And I know that being in that situation, when you think the universe and the world and people are conspiring against you, it's really, really difficult. But one of those things that I sort of thought about when I was in that zone was just how insignificant I really was. And not in a negative and depressed way of, oh my God, I'm so insignificant, I don't matter, the world hates me. Just in terms of like, the universe and the world is so vast, it's so big, it's definitely not going to be picking on me. It's got way bigger shit to worry about. Icebergs are melting. There's, there's racists everywhere on the internet. The UK's full of them. There are so many people that would be way more deserving of the universe's bad luck than you. So all you have to do is just think about that. I think actually, the universe's got better things to do. But that's it. Should we do the book, Doctor? hi Ed. Um could you please recommend me a book that explores you know, managing your emotional response to others' actions um, you know kind of like the things that you see in the media that might not directly affect you um, but you may have a strong emotional response to um, if you could recommend anything that would be amazing uh, thank you so much buddy, bye well that is something that keeps coming up at the moment obviously the news is a dreadful thing to be watching and I always get emotional responses to it and then I remember a new earth by Eckhart Tolle and a story in that book is just about being able to let things go and put things down that are bothering you so a new earth by Eckhart Tolle would be my number one recommendation for that and just in terms of general sort of emotions emotional agility by Susan David is the book. So those would be my two recommendations for that. Um, And for being a good sport and sending a voice note, I'll send you some book bags and some bookmarks. If you want to be featured on The Book Doctor, please send me an email with your voice note with a request for a book. I'll send you a book bag and some bookmarks. You just have to give me your address and a voice note. It'll be put in an episode and I'll recommend you some books. All for being a good sport. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. And if you want to engage in the ads that are on this podcast, I will very much appreciate it. Headspace is a brilliant way to get yourself into meditation. That link is in the description. And therapy, honestly, I can't recommend it enough, especially with BetterHelp. The link is in the description. And you get 10% off of your first month. But that is it from me. Thank you very much, you absolute legends. Take it easy. Love you, bye.